I'm not sure there's any other Bible story that has as many twists and turns and zigs and zags and plots and subplots and characters and just information you have to keep in mind as you walk through the story. Historical information, cultural information, more so than the one we've been studying. A lot of great stories in the Bible, but Esther is just kind of layered with all of these characters and twists and turns and, and poetic justice and irony and all of those facets of this incredible story. If you haven't been with us, it started with um, a boorish king, just really a jerk of a guy, and uh, he invites his queen to come and dance in front of all of his friends, and she says no, and so he gets rid of her. And, and then we meet this orphan named Esther. She'd been adopted by her, her older cousin who had raised her and sort of been the guiding voice in her life. She becomes a part of the search for a new queen. And uh, as it turns out, she actually becomes the next, the next queen. This orphan becomes a queen in the story. And her cousin Mordecai is always kind of there giving her advice and walking her through decisions and what she should say and not say and reveal and not reveal. And uh, then there's this little moment where Mordecai uncovers a conspiracy to assassinate the king. And it seems like kind of trivial information until it comes back in the story uh, much later. And then we meet this guy, the king. He is elevated to second in command, right, right under the king. And Haman hates Mordecai, the cousin of the queen. Just just hates him, and, and quite honestly, Mordecai doesn't really like him either, if truth be told. But Haman's hatred goes so far that he hates everybody that's Jewish. Anybody that's like Mordecai, Haman hates and goes so far as to decide, we're going to wipe them all out. We're, this is Persia. They shouldn't be in our country. We're going to kill all of the Jewish people that are in Persia goes about plotting essentially this, this ancient holocaust. Just wipe them all out, get rid of all of them, kill them. Even picks a day. He puts a day on the calendar and says, this is the day it's going to be. Kind of rolls some dice and, and, and this weird kind of process that they use sometimes in the Old Testament. Decides, this is the date. This is D-Day. They're all going to die on this particular day. Well, Mordecai then begins to talk to Esther and say, hey, you got to do something about this. you got to speak up. you got to say something on behalf of your people or else not only are all of your people going to die, but you're going to die as well. And, and there's, there's that line a lot of us know, maybe you were put here for such a time as this. Maybe this is the moment for you to step up and be brave. And, and when we first meet Esther, she's not really brave, right? She takes her a little while, but she finds courage. To, to be able to go to the king even though she's not sure if he'll accept her or, 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 or punish her or kill her. But he goes, she goes to the king and through this process that Jono talked to you about last week, she reveals Haman's plot and plan and, and, and the ramifications. And uh, Haman eventually gets executed because of his part in this plot. And, and, and this would be a great place for the story to end. Right? If the story just stopped right there and nobody was harmed and, and nothing went wrong and everybody lived happily ever after, that would be a great place to stop, except this other weird little cultural thing that we don't, he couldn't change. But in Persia at that time, once the king made a law, he couldn't change the law. Like he, he couldn't repeal the law. 
He couldn't say, just kidding, we're not going to do that thing. I thought it was a great idea two days ago. We're getting rid of that. We're striking that. Could, the law of the Medes and Persians was like this really big deal during this time. All the authority of the king and his, his governing would be undermined. And so you couldn't just take something back if you made it into a law. So the king did the next best thing. The king decided, well, since I can't take that back, I'll make it legal for all the Jewish people to defend themselves. If somebody attacks them, they have a legal right to defend themselves in whatever manner they need to defend themselves. And we find this in Esther chapter 8, verse 11. The king's edict, this new law, granted the Jews in every city the right to assemble and protect themselves, to destroy, kill, and annihilate the armed men of any nationality or province who might attack them and their women and children, and to plunder the property of the enemies. So the king says, you're free, you can fight back, you can defend yourselves if somebody's about to attack you. And then in verse 13, he makes sure all of the provinces know about this new law. A copy of the text of the edict was to be issued as law in every province and made known to the people of every nationality so that the Jews would be ready on that day to avenge themselves on their enemies. And then, and then the Bible goes on at the end of chapter 8 to say that the Jewish people just celebrated this new law. Like they were filled with joy. There was feasting and gladness. It was like this huge party, which seems odd because they still have to fight, right? They still have, there's still going to be a struggle. They, they weren't celebrating because it was going to be easy, which is what we like to celebrate, right? I want to celebrate when it's easy. I want to celebrate when it just goes away, right? Poof, it's just gone. In the story of Esther, they knew there was still going to be a battle. There's still going to be a struggle, but they were celebrating. They were, they were joyous because they get the opportunity to defend themselves, to defend their faith, to defend their God. They counted this defense as a privilege, worthy of celebrating. Not only that, they knew that their God was with them to give them power, to give them courage, to give them strength. We're just saying, you make me brave. That's kind of what they knew. They knew, God, you're going to give us what we need. You've been kind of in this story the whole time. You've been directing traffic and things seem to have happened randomly and coincidentally. But we know you've been directing every part of this story and you're going to keep directing our story. They were thrilled to get to defend their God and their faith. Now, you and I, in our lives, we, we face battles, right? There's, there's nowhere in the Bible that says, if you follow God, you'll never have any struggles or you'll, you'll never have any battles. Things will always be easy. Life will always be smooth, right? That's none of our experiences. Nobody has that experience. We want to we convince ourselves that's the way it ought to be. We want to convince ourselves that's the way the spiritual life works. That's not the way it works. There's still struggles and battles Here's the thing about our struggles and battles, though. They're opportunities to defend ourselves with joy. They're opportunities to wade into the fight knowing that God is with me. God has been with me from the beginning. God has been directing every step and every path. And this is an opportunity to declare Him. This is an opportunity to defend my faith, to display my courage and my belief in the God that I serve. That's how they saw this battle. This is, this is a great opportunity 
This is an opportunity worth celebrating. Not only in our struggles, not only in the difficulties of life, but we live at a time, we, we, we live in a world where sometimes we have to defend even our faith. And certainly not physically, like, like we're reading here, not, not a physical defense of our faith, but in, in conversations, there are going to be times we have to defend ourselves theologically. Like why, why do you believe that? Or philosophically. Like, how does that even make sense? Or, or logically. Like, it's, it's logical to believe that this whole world didn't just appear out of nothing. That's kind of a logical path to follow. But often the world that we live in, sometimes we end up defending that, or even personally. Personally defending, like, this is what my faith has meant to me. And I know you don't get it, and I know you don't see it, and I know that's, that's, you, you, you didn't maybe grow up with that. But this, this is what God has meant to me. This is what I've experienced in my life. And with the Jews in Persia as an example, we should face those times with joy. God, I get this opportunity. I get the time to speak up for you. I get the time to say, yeah. God matters to me. Jesus matters to me. My faith, I really believe that Jesus came and died for me and, and rose again. I really believe there's a heaven. I believe there's a God that's over everything. You may not have all the answers. I don't have all the answers. You may not be able to answer all the questions. But an opportunity to send our faith is an opportunity for joy, to celebrate. So the day of the attack arrives, been marked on the calendar for almost a year. Esther chapter 9, on the 13th day of the 12th month, the month of Adar, the edict commanded by the king was to be carried out. So, so here it is, like the whole story has been building to this moment, and it took kind of side turns, but then it, it got back to this big Peace right here, the apex. Everything's been leading up to this moment when the battle's about to start. And the second part of verse 1, look, I know that the for such a time as this phrase is like the big one for Esther, if you've studied this story before. I know like that's the big one, big honking one, and we're like everybody crochets that and puts it on their little prints and Instagrams. And it's a great line for such a time as this. It should be first place. I totally get it. But if there's like a, a 1B I think it's this line right here in the second part of verse 1 in chapter, line, uh, chapter 9. On this day, the enemies of the Jews had hoped to overpower them. In other words, the people that hated the Jews, they were revved up. Like, it's, gonna, it's going down today, and come at me, bro, and we're going to take you, and I'm coming after you. They're ready to overpower them, but now the tables were turned. And now... The tables were turned, and the Jews got the upper hand over those who hated them. Like Everything looked like it was going to go this way. Like Everything looked like this is where we're going to end up. You know how it's going to end. It's all going to end up here. And then all of a sudden, it went this way. Like Everything looked bad. It, it, the story looked like evil would win. But somehow good won. Like at the last moment. And the tables were turned. Like everything switched. Everything turned around. And, and this moment that had been building up as tragedy, as devastation, now becomes hope. But the tables were turned. I, I don't know if you've ever experienced that in your life. 
I bet some of you have. And, and, and probably all of us will again. And some of you maybe for the first time. And it was just something that came into your life and you didn't pick it and you didn't choose it and somebody put it on the calendar and there was a date and it was coming at you and this thing happened and you're in the middle of it and everything about you says, this is going to go this way, this is going to go this way and the table's turned. And I got to nowhere. God shows up and the story, instead of going that way, the story goes this way and God's glorified and you see his hand but God turned the tables. But God said, no, we're not going to go that way. We're going to go this way. I know those people think it's going that way. It's going this way. God, God is a table-turning God. And, and maybe you're here this morning, and that's what you need. That's your prayer right now. I've been in seasons of my life when I needed that. Maybe I didn't use this phrase, but I prayed along those same lines. Like, God, we're going this way, and that's not where we want to go. I need the tables to turn. Part of the hope of the story of Esther is that's what God does. Like God brings good. God rescues good where we thought there was going to be tragedy, where we thought there was going to be evil, where we thought evil was going to win. And it's not just in this story. It's like all throughout the Bible, this idea of God turning things around comes up again and again and again. You remember the story in Genesis of a guy named Joseph. Joseph gets sold into slavery, spends the better part of his young adult life in prison for things he didn't do, and then gets elevated to second in command. Like out of nowhere, Joseph is in a jail cell, and before he knows it, he's in the palace. God turns the tables. So much so that later in life, Joseph would look at the perpetrators of all the things that happened to him, and he would say to them, you, you meant this for evil, and God meant it for good. Like, you meant it to go that way, and God said, no, I'm, we're going this way. The, the, the Hebrew children enslaved in Egypt. Pharaoh, the Egyptians, have all the power, and they're oppressing, and they're pressing down on the Hebrew children, and God turns the tables, and the Hebrew children are free. And they leave Egypt, and they make their way eventually to the promised land, because God turns the tables. David's a kid. He goes down into the valley against a giant named Goliath. You remember this story? Like all the Vegas money is on Goliath, right? Like all the odds are pointing this way because nobody's putting their money on a kid against a trained killer giant. And God turned the tables, right? And what shouldn't have happened, happened. And what should have happened, didn't happen. Because that's the way God is. God, God, God turns the tables. Gideon has 300 men, and they fight a whole army. Paul and Silas are in jail, right? Peter's testifying against the very leaders that crucified Jesus. Not long after Jesus had been crucified, Peter's standing up boldly talking to people who could kill him. John is exiled to an island all by himself. And in each of those stories, you go back and read them, God turns the tables. You thought it was going there, but you thought evil was going to win, and good came behind it. And, one, and, and maybe you know those stories. Maybe you don't know those stories. Maybe you have your own stories. What I'm telling you is Esther 9.1. Not only worked thousands of years ago, it's true today. God is the God that turns the tables. And God is the God who strengthens us and makes us brave until he does. Gives us the courage to stay in there and be faithful until that turn happens. So the, 
The battle comes. And for two days, the, the, the Israelites battle against the Persians who are attacking, attacking them. And for two days, they win. And it's such a glorious victory. It's, it's such an amazing turn of events that they decide to have a holiday to remember it by. And I'll talk about that in just a minute. I want to skip that for now. And I want to go to chapter 10. Chapter 10 is just three verses. So hang in there. I'm going to read all three verses, all of chapter 10. This is the end. This is the postscript to the story of Esther. King Xerxes imposed tribute throughout the empire to its distant shores and all his acts of power and might together with a full account of the greatness of Mordecai whom the king had promoted are they not written in the book of the annals of the kings of Media and Persia and Heli the Jew was second in rank to King Xerxes preeminent among the Jews and held in high esteem by his many fellow Jews because he worked for the good of his people and spoke up for the welfare of all the Jews. So there's this postscript. Oh, by the way, let's wrap it up. Let me give you sort of the summary statement to how this ends. And Esther's never mentioned. I mean, the person who gets the title of the book, never mentioned. I'm not downplaying Esther's role. Great woman, right? Lover, great leader, brave courageous, women don't get mad at me. I'm just saying, when God wrote the postscript, she's not in there. The guy who's in there is the guy who's been behind the scenes the whole time. It's the guy, it's, it's the guy who's been behind what's been going on. Here's the truth. The person behind the person matters. The person behind the person Matter. Here's Mordecai. He's not looking for awards. He's not looking for name recognition. Mordecai is simply trying to do what's right every day. And so when he adopts his cousin and cares for her and raises her and guides her, he's just, I just want to do what God wants me to do. I just want to do what's right. When he helps her navigate the palace and the decisions that she had to make there and what she should say to the king and not say to the king and reveal to the king and withhold to the king. There's Mordecai, and he's over here kind of in the shadows. He's kind of whispering over to Esther. So much so, so faithful, so right with God was he. that The very last line of the whole story says that Mordecai was held in high esteem because he worked for the good of his people and spoke up for the welfare of all the Jews. He just did the right thing every single day. And he was the person behind the person. He didn't get a book named after him. Right? Nobody ever says, my favorite book of the Bible is Mordecai. Right? If they do, then you know they don't read the Bible because there's not a book in the Bible called Mordecai. Nobody even says, my favorite story in the whole Bible. It's the story of Mordecai. Nobody says that. I didn't get that moment. He's the person behind the person. But listen, the person behind the person matters. What's done when nobody else sees matters. Because Mordecai's obedience, his faithfulness, leads to Esther's obedience, which leads to a miracle. Because Mordecai's faithful and obedient, just doing what God tells him to do. Esther is obedient and does what God says, 
And then we see a miracle. We have to ask ourselves the questions from time to time. Am I content to simply do the right thing from the shadows? Am I okay with that? Am I okay if I don't get the title of the book? Am I okay if I don't get brought up front? If, I, if my name doesn't get mentioned? If, if I'm not in, spot, in the spotlight? Am I okay if, like Mordecai, I'm just behind the scenes? I'm just faithful. And if God wants to spotlight me, that's fine. He can spotlight me, but, but that's not what I'm after. I'm after just faithfully doing the right thing day after day after day. And, and, and some of you, maybe you're, maybe you're the only real person of faith where you work. And you're not like carrying placards in every day. You're not like throwing your Bible at people. You're just living for God. You're using conversations to talk to people about spiritual things. You're letting people know that your faith matters to you. And you're just there day after day after day. And nobody else sees. God sees. And God sees that person behind the person. People. Maybe, maybe you're in a family where you're one of the only ones that just want to live for God. Right? We all spent Thanksgiving with our family, right? We all need some therapy now. We need to be good to have a counselor, you know, on speed dial. Just get over Thanksgiving. Then we got to do Christmas, and we need some more counseling after that. But, yeah, we just spent all this time with our family. And for some of us, maybe you're the, you're the one. You're the one just doing what you can to live for God. You're not trying to strong arm anybody. You're not trying to guilt anybody. You're not trying to point out everybody's mistakes. You're just trying to live for God. And nobody else recognizes it, and, and we don't even know about it. But God sees that sort of person behind the person. God, God sees that. Maybe your mom or dad, and not a book named after you. Like you're you're not, not like a New York Times bestseller. Just every day you're pouring into your kids. Pouring into a son, you're pouring into a daughter. You're pointing them to Jesus, you're pointing them to God, and it's day after day, and sometimes it's exhausting, sometimes it's tiring. And I tell you something, God sees God sees the people behind the people. God sees the faithful day after day after day. Maybe you know how far you've come in your spiritual life. Maybe you look back and know, man, I know how far you've come. And other people look at you and they think, well, you ought to be farther along. Well, you shouldn't be doing that anymore. Well, you should have that under control. But you know how far you've come, and God does too. God sees. God sees what's been happening in the quiet in the shadow of your life that nobody else sees. And here's the beautiful thing. God's got a postscript for you. Maybe not the title of a book, but God's got a postscript to say, you know what, I saw. I saw you live out your faith. I, I saw you stand for me. I saw you defend your faith. I, I, I saw you be the person behind the person. God sees. So don't give up. Sometimes we can get weary. Sometimes it's tired. Sometimes we wonder, does it even matter? Right? Sometimes, am I having any effect? Is this going anywhere? And I can tell you, at the end of the story, there's going to be a postscript, and God's going to say, it mattered. It mattered. And nobody else saw it. I saw it, and it mattered. Because, look, none of us know how the story's going to end. None of us know. None of us know what that last three verses is going to be. But be faithful. 
Be faithful. Keep walking. Keep walking. Keep honoring God. Keep being the person behind the person. This victory, this moment, was, it was so significant to the people who were there that Mordecai said, look, we're going to celebrate this every year. Like, this is a big deal what just happened. This whole God turned the tables and we thought it was over and then God rescued us. And man, this is incredible. We can't let this get lost to history. We got to celebrate this every year. So in chapter 9, verse 20, this is, this is what we read. <clears throat> Mordecai recorded these events and he sent letters to all the Jews throughout the province of King Xerxes, near and far, to have them celebrate annually the 14th and 15th days of the month of Adar as the time when the Jews got relief from their enemies and as the month when their sorrow was turned into joy and their mourning into a day of celebration. He wrote them to observe the days as days of feasting and joy and giving presents of food to one another and gifts to the poor. Mordecai says, we're going to party like crazy every year when this comes around. Because we saw God do something. And we're going to call it the Festival of Purim, is the English transliteration of the Greek, P-U-R-I-M. Purim, Purim day that means lots. Or um, it, it's what they rolled to figure out which day this attack was going to take place. So it's like rolling dice. It was a game of chance. It's like chance. We're going to call it not just chance. Purim is uh, uh, plural. So it's like a bunch of chances. A bunch of weird coincidences happen. And then we got rescued. Like all these weird things happen, like all this, the coincidence over here with him and that, and these stories, and then it was just weird. And so we're going to we'll just call this the celebration of chances. But I think they called it that because they all knew it wasn't chances. They all knew it wasn't coincidences. They, they all knew that it wasn't rolling the dice. It wasn't just some random thing that happened, and poof, we all got rescued. They knew behind the scenes there was a sovereign God who was guiding them the whole time. And we mentioned it if you've been hearing the story. God's never mentioned. His name never is in the story of Esther. He never says anything. We're never told specifically that he does something. But the Israelites knew he was always there. It wasn't chances that got us here. It wasn't random chaos coincidences. Oh, that just happened to work out. God was in the shadows, behind the scenes. God was orchestrating and sovereignly reigning over everything. And here's the truth. When you celebrate Purim, it's easy to recognize that. When you're in the middle of the battle, it's not so easy. That's why we need stories like this. Because some of us are walking through battles. Some of us are walking through difficult times. Some of us are walking through struggles and we're thinking, man, if... If that hadn't worked and this thing didn't do, and maybe I shouldn't have, and I should have made that decision. And, and one of the things the message of Esther says to you is, look, God's, God's got it. Right? God's got it. You do your part, and you pray, and, and you do your part, but there is a God sovereignly reigning. Whether you hear Him or see Him, there's still a God behind the story, and you are not alone. And so every year, they would celebrate the celebration of chances, that God was sovereign. And God was reigning. It's a good reminder that, that our lives are not a game of chance either. Your life isn't. My life isn't. 
all the events of your life, they're not just some random, jumbled-up history of events. Our lives aren't chances. They're not coincidences. They're guided and molded in the hands of a loving, sovereign God. And yes, we live in a fallen world, and some things, sometimes things happen that, that, that aren't good in this fallen world that we live in. But even behind those things, there is a God reigning and ruling and sovereign and good. Now, we don't celebrate Purim. Maybe we should start. Um, from what I've read, it was like a crazy wild party they would throw every year. It might be something we want to consider in the spring when the, when the calendar rolls around. But probably most of us don't have Purim parties at our house. But there's another celebration that we not only observe, we're commanded to observe. And it celebrates a lot of the same things. The reality is all of us deserved to die. Our sin, our disobedience of God. Like you put it on a calendar, on this day, I'm going to be judged, I'm going to be punished because I'm separated from the God that made me. I've disobeyed the God that made me. And none of us know our calendar date, but when we leave this life, we're, we're going to face that God. And on our own, because of our own disobedience, we deserve the worst from that God. But somebody went to the king on our behalf. Somebody said, I'm going to speak for them. And I'm not only going to speak for them, I'm going to rescue them. Remember when Esther went to the king? She said, basically, look, these are my people that you're about to punish. These are my people that you're about to kill. I'm one with them. We are the same. Jesus came. We're going to celebrate it in December. Jesus came to be one of us. He laid down his deity and picked up humanity. He put, put on flesh and blood. He felt our pain. He felt our weakness. He went through everything that we go through. He was tempted in every way, the Bible says, so that one day he could stand before his God and say, these are my people. These are, these are my people. And I don't, not only identify with them, I died for them. They could not defend themselves against your judgment. And so I took your judgment on myself. And Jesus, the Son of God, who took on flesh and blood, lived a perfect life and died and rose again so that we could have Purim, so that we could be free, so that we could be rescued, so that we could celebrate. Hey, we're no longer under the punishment of God. Now we experience His love and His grace and His forgiveness and eternal life in heaven. That's the God that we know. Jesus, before He was crucified, He gathered with His followers in a little room and He said, you don't understand everything that's going on right now, but I'm going to show you something and I want you to do this regularly. I want you to remember broken body and shed blood. It's going to make sense in a few days. I want you to remember broken body Shed blood, because I'm about to speak for you. I'm about to go to the king for you. I'm about to make a way so that you can be free. And for all of your life, I want you to come to this table. And I want you to take the bread and the cup. 
And I want you to remember, I've set you free because I love you. And we're going to close out this series by celebrating that table, the Lord's Supper, the broken body of Jesus, the shed blood of Jesus, so that we would not be punished. We would not be left to our own before God, but Jesus would go in front of us. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you've trusted Jesus by faith, you're welcome to come and celebrate this supper with us. There are two tables down front and a table back in the lobby, whichever one is most convenient to you. The band's going to come back in just a minute and begin to pray. And here's my encouragement to you. Maybe just take just a moment to, to pray. And if there's anything you need to get right with God, this is the time. Clear that up. Get that right. And then come and join us. Celebrate. For Jesus went to the king for us. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you that we don't have to defend ourselves because our defense is inadequate. Thank you that we don't have to be good enough because we can never be good enough. Thank you that Jesus became one of us. Thank you that Jesus looks at us and says, these are my people that I died for. If they'll trust me, if they'll put their faith in me, they'll be right with my Father, the King. We celebrate that today. We come to the table and we are reminded in this sacred moment of all that Jesus did for our salvation. May we not take this moment lightly. I pray it in Jesus' name.